Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. What are you grinning about? <laughs> Our guest is laughing at my uh, my intro. At your announcer voice? Yes. It doesn't stay around the whole, the whole show, but uh, I like to get people's attention and let them know the show is starting. All right, well, the cat's out of the bag now. They know we have a guest. That's right, yes. It says it in the show description. Okay. All right, fair enough. Okay, so we do have a guest. It's Eric Matthews. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's no problem. Now, Eric, what do you do? That's what I want to know. <laughs> what's, your, what's your deal? What's your story? Uh, I, I own a production company, co-own a production company. Okay. That makes DVD extras, primarily. Okay. We do EPKs, sizzle reels, things like that, but bread and butter is DVD okay. extras. And um, let's see. Now, how did you actually get into that? Uh, you know, I hmm. will we'll be on this for just a, a, a couple minutes. I know you're reluctant sure. to talk about yourself, and that's all right. It's, it's very humble. <laughs> you know, that's that's not how David and I roll. We like to just, you know, just that's cool. I mean, I, I think it, that out there. it exactly. is a little bit of a we came to it in a from a different path. Um, I had been producing commercials and music videos and documentary films mm-hmm. and art installation films and just a number of kind of odd one off projects, primarily directed by the same directors that I was producing commercials for. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times their production companies didn't want to do those projects. Okay. So they would just, we would just do them on our own and it would all kind of fall on me to run it through me. At one point I got a phone call from, uh, my current creative partner, Josh Oreck, mm. who I didn't know personally, but I knew his mom owned one of the big music video production companies in town at the time. Oh, pictures. I had worked for her. I knew him through, we both had worked for the Beastie Boys at different times. We, um, he asked me essentially to go to Australia. It was pretty much how I heard it. What he was really asking me to do was go to Australia to spend two weeks creating a documentary about the start of production on some crazy new science fiction movie that Joel Silver was producing. And he needed some kind of video to explain to the studio what they were doing. Uh-huh. And as I said, all I heard was, do you want to go to Australia? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, and that was kind of the kickoff of that was Matrix, and sure. uh, we did our two weeks. We approached it because we had no clue what EPK was or what how people did. Well, this ex- stuff. explain that real quick. What what is EPK? EPK is an electronic press kit. Okay, um, which is primarily like the video work that we do tends to fall in two categories: pre-release and post-release. Mm-hmm. So at that time, because there really wasn't an internet campaign per se to market a movie. It was really pre-release material. So it's the interviews and the clips and the behind-the-scenes footage that go to uh, an Access Hollywood or an Entertainment Tonight to put their story together. That's what an electronic press sure. kit is for. Okay. So we created this 10-minute thing about The Matrix. We approached it like a documentary film. So we went way beyond their expectation. Mm-hmm. They uh, Josh stayed in Australia because we had a suspicion that it was going to blow up Mm. i went back came back here to la with the footage and essentially was granted a budget actually was really was given we were given a mandate by joel silver stay there shoot every day cover the whole making Hmm. of Hmm. 
everything that's going on around Matrix. So that was really the start of it. That's how we became a production company, essentially. The combination of those independent jobs I had been doing and now the big budget of this documentary about the Matrix that we were doing, you know, I was advised to actually become an official company Hmm. and not just keep running it through my meager checking account. Ah, yes, that's, I'd say that's probably a good call. <laughs> um, and so what, uh, so the company is uh, EMP? EMP Inc. All right. And uh, and what else, what other uh, films have you done, like, uh, special features for and such? Kind of working backwards from what we're doing now, we're, we're finishing up a lot of stuff for Watchmen right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just putting the finishing touches on The Spirit, okay. which will come out this Christmas. Um, we did all the Matrix movies and all the ancillary games and anime and things like that cool uh we did the first spider-man we did uh let's see 300 okay um a scanner darkly hmm. fun indie film that yeah. we got involved with uh i did some work on some other we, we also have done some smaller projects like that it hasn't just been the big films uh we did we did uh mike mills feature debut uh thumb sucker a couple of years oh, ago yeah and uh so we try to mix it up and, and feel like what we do is scalable right to these different budgets and different types of movies so. okay well that's uh all right well so the topic today uh, appropriately david is special features yeah and uh you know that's something that has become just you know when when somebody buys a movie i i, I kind of do this when somebody buys a movie they grab the dvd they flip you know they flip to the back and see what special features it has you know um I have tried the purest thing where uh-huh. it's just like it's like you know what I liked the movie for itself. I'm going I'm just going to you know what I'm going to get the the bare bones single disc edition of Batman Begins. That's what I'm going to do. The movie speaks for itself. Uh-huh. Uh that didn't last very long. I want the apps I want everything. I want uh you know I want cuz cuz good special features can be just a really great supplement to the film and it's it's amazing how much that has become the norm what you're talking mm-hmm. about like when when movies were on on vhs people just bought the movie you know mm-hmm. but now the quality and quantity of the special features is a, is a deciding factor yeah in whether or not to purchase a dvd for a lot of people i remember uh <laughs> back in 95 speaking of vhs uh, they released the Batman trilogy. It was like a box set uh-huh. on VHS, and uh, that was back when I liked Batman Forever. I was young and naive, you know. <laughs> and um, and they had you know Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever. But then they also had a special bonus VHS that was like a half hour feature, uh, a featurette of uh, of the making of Batman Forever. And I was like, oh wow, that's great! It's you know you buy these, you get this extra, an entire other tape thrown in. So novel. I, I know it's very exciting. But uh, but yeah, and so I guess uh, you know the, the, this is going to be kind of a kind of a discussion of all things special features. I, I think, like uh-huh. I mean, you know, we've got Eric here who can kind of give us some insight as to you know how companies decide on what special features they're going to have. But then also we'll kind of discuss what our personal preferences are. <laughs> so well, let's start with the first thing. All I right. mean, like when you when when a, a company like who who produces you or pr- produces who who uh approaches you first about about a movie who who's the first person to come to you is it is it the studio or i think in our case it's we've been lucky and have kind of a unique thing where where our relationship is with the filmmakers that's great 
Um, but ultimately, the studio is is really the client that's signing the check mm-hmm. and actually commissioning the work and kind of overseeing it. Um, so it's a mix of both. We feel more emotionally connected and, and indebted mm-hmm. to the filmmakers like Zack Snyder or Joel Silver or the Wachowskis that we've done repeated work with. Um, but at the same time, our clients, you know, primarily have been Warner Brothers. We've done some work with Lionsgate, a few other independent shops. And I think every time, it's, you know, you try to kind of answer the call. It's, it's very similar to a commercial. You have the agency, you have the director, you, you know, there's a number of different entities that you're responsible for producing. So, so uh, we, were, we were just talking about how uh, special features are, are the sort of a major selling point of, of a DVD now. Um, do you do you get a lot of a lot of pressure because I mean what you're making is sort of the what's what's selling the DVD I mean it's do do you have do do certain do certain studios take it more seriously than others or, or does everyone kind of uh, put the pressure on to make great special features I think it's it's interesting because to to hear how you've set it set this up because I think that there are some studios and we haven't worked for them yet. Mm-hmm. who feel like what you're saying is true, that people will go buy, are more likely to go buy the DVD because mm-hmm. of the extras. Now, there's no marketing model that says that. There's no mm-hmm. pie chart. There's no, what you're talking about is purely word of mouth. And you can walk mm-hmm. into any video store or comic book store and everybody will say to you, yes, I'm going to go buy the movie that has all the extra bells and whistles on it. But as far as what the business model says, there's no pie chart that a guy in a marketing accounting department can look at and say, oh, we're going to sell more Hmm. if we put just the movie out versus if we put a bunch of extra stuff on it. So because of, especially right now with the economy the way it is, the pressure we're under is to make really less stuff that Hmm. fits the budget, Hmm. whereas we and the filmmakers may want to actually do a lot more with it. So that's where the juggling act comes in is like, you know, look at Iron Man. It's got mm-hmm. 185 minute making of on it. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. But most studios will say to you, we don't want making ofs. Making ofs are dead. Everybody knows how a movie's made. Hmm. So I think like when you see a DVD that's got all that great stuff on it, it's chances are it's the filmmakers that have really pushed for that. There's very few people willing to take those kind of risks in the studio environment. It's expensive to do what we do, especially in HD. So, That's odd because, and I realize that my opinion does not necessarily represent that of the you know mass movie-buying public, but making ofs and, like, making ofs and then, like, if it's an older movie, like, retrospectives, you know, that those are what I watch. Like, that's... Right. You know, I don't care about production stills. Like, uh, you know, (laughs) I I don't like them. I don't understand them. It's like, oh, that's no, those are special features from like 98 when you couldn't do anything else. Well, or even the late 80s. I mean, the special features literally were the production stills, the EPK. Mm. Maybe they did an HBO first look or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would go on it. Like, really, that was all the the first Matrix thing that came out. They used, you know, a tenth of what or less than of what we had actually shot and created. It wasn't until later that we were able to go back and make yeah. the really robust pieces. Like when I like like I just bought uh, a couple months ago, I bought um, I think it was the 30th or the 35th anniversary edition of Planet of the Apes. And it's a nice two disc thing. And there's 
loads of special features and and like screen tests are kind of interesting to me but like especially for something like that where you see the early makeups and you see like oh dr zayas was supposed to be edward g robinson that's interesting you know (laughs) um but then also like i like when they take something that they specifically didn't necessarily do and fold it into their special features like on citizen kane they the second disc is uh something from the American experience or, or whatever it was. And it was the battle over citizen Kane. And it was basically like a documentary, like a two hour documentary about Orson Welles versus William Randolph Hearst. And then like planet of the apes, they, they took a, a, a made for TV documentary that came out in like 99 or something like that. Uh, hosted by Roddy McDowell and basically covered, you know, the first movie pretty extensively, and then they also talk about every other movie, and the TV show, and the cartoon series, and all the, you know, toys and products, and the just the whole franchise, and they just talk about everything related to Planet of the Apes, and I remember seeing it on TV a while back, I'm like, this is really comprehensive, this is really exhaustive, I, I hope this is on the DVD, and it was, and I'm so excited about it, like, that's... That's what I look for. Like on Maltese Falcon, they have like an, a 45-minute thing interviewing, among others, uh, like James Cromwell and Henry Rollins, because why not? You know, <laughs> I, I'd love to hear Henry Rollins talk about Peter Lorre. Well, Hank's got his movie show, right? Does he, does he still do that? Does he? Uh, on the Independent Film Channel. He had a whole movie thing. He's, He's got, got a show, in a lot of but I've digress. never watched it, actually. But, uh, but those are the ones that I, well, what, that I like. What do you look for uh, when you're buying a DVD? special features I, I actually I agree with you I, I mean I'm I think and what we're talking about is what a core fan base mm-hmm. really movie lovers film film fanatics you want to see those documentaries and you want to see things that give you more information or you know for example sometimes I've had cases at home where like my wife said you should watch this movie that just came on Netflix and I'm like, eh, I don't really watch it she said well at least watch the making of this interesting story case in point uh, uh, the Machinist. No oh, interest yeah. in seeing the movie. Watched the making of. Found out like what a crazy journey they had gone on to get that film made. And then I just stayed up till three in the morning and watched the movie. <laughs> so I'll look for those kind of things. Like I'm in- and I'm more interested in what we've had fun making, which is take something within the 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 genre or the. The, the subject matter that maybe was used to research the storyline to make a documentary, to make something that's really going beyond just saying, you know, he, here's how hard it was for the steady cam guy to run down the street for uh-huh. 10 blocks. A lot of people understand that now. But if you've got something like, you know, with Matrix, we were able to go out and interview like 83 of the smartest people in the world, everybody from... Daniel Dennett to Ray Kurtzwheel to talk about robotics and artificial intelligence and religious hmm. iconography that appeared in the movie. That's fun to me. So I want to see other people, you know, who that's, do what I do, making that kind of stuff. That's so the kind I, of stuff you know that I that I love. That isn't just like you said. I mean, the making ofs are, are great, but it isn't just like it isn't just the the construction of the film. It it, it a good like set a, a good DVD and good special features will, will sort of flesh out. Maybe flesh out the story, but really flesh out sort of the context of the film itself. So we're to yeah. where the DVD set ends up being almost like a time capsule of the, of the topic. You know, I'm thinking of the like the three disc Black Hawk Down DVD has a lot of the stuff you're talking about with with Planet of the Apes has you know other st- stuff they found. You know, mm-hmm. but it has like a like a front line. You know, from like when oh, yeah, that first yeah. happened, 
you know, and it gives you a real sense of like the place and, and the importance and the larger, the, the wh- where the film exists in, in, in the world, you know, where right. it fits in. That's, that's what, that's what I really look for. I'm of the opinion though, that the, that the majority of the audience out there isn't thinking of it that way. And what they want to see in a DVD extra is the same thing they get. This is totally just my opinion, right? Yeah. But, but I think that really what they're looking for is the same thing they get when they pick up Us magazine at the checkout counter. They want to see more candid moments of their favorite star. If they, if they bought the movie because Nicole Kidman's in it, they want to hope that there's a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff so that they can see more Nicole or whoever it is. So to me, I don't know... It hasn't been proven to me enough because the people that come up to me and say, I love what you do, I love right. that stuff, they're people like us that are geeks. We're film uh-huh. geeks. Mm-hmm. We love it, you know? Or they're film students. Like, we, uh, you know, we've had plenty of times where stuff we've done in the visual effects realm, the visual effects artist on the next movie will say, hey, you know, I just picked up two interns who watched that thing you made about what we did on 300 and, like, that's what made them go to film school. But I think that what we're talking about like a really kind of narrow slice of the overall pie of people that are buying DVDs. I think most people that buy them probably enjoy that stuff. I don't know. I'd be curious. You should get someone other than me and ask them. Like get a get a get a fan. Yeah, um, but I don't think I'm, maybe I'm sounding elitist here. Maybe people maybe there's just not enough of the good special features for, for people to know that that's what to look I, for. Absolutely, yeah. and there's not. And, and more, if they're only, more if they're, they're only given they're, these candid, yeah. you know things that like are filler that's all they're going to know to look for on special features but if if more people were making these sort of really good in-depth expansive special features then people would know to look for it and they should promote them i think well and and it's interesting that you mention that because this is slightly off topic but it kind of relates to it that like uh roger ebert just wrote a uh, an article about uh just the slow but sure actually it's quickening quite a bit um the death of the uh, print film critic and how like a lot like the associated press just said hey by the way 500 words or less that's it that's what you get to criticize a film but if you were to write about celebrity gossip and stuff they'll give you as much room as you need you know and so it's systematically uh putting up you know so it's like you know film criticism tv is pretty much gone for the most part whereas there's like a million shows like entertainment tonight and uh access Hollywood and that sort of thing. Um, and so, like, with special features, like, you know, I mean, I, the thing that, that always bothers me is, you know, that people are unwi- they're unwilling to look at film a certain way. I don't, like, I don't require that they look at it the way I do, but maybe acknowledge that there's more to it than just whatever, you know, than it's like, oh, hey, there's a movie. That's the end of it. You know, it's like, no, a lot went into it. A lot of thought went into it. And, like, for example, like if something is based on a true story, I like the special features that like maybe interview the people that are involved and interviews them about what happened, not necessarily how true the movie is to the to what happened or something like that. But like and so something like that, you know, special features like there's kind of a weird opportunity to get the audience viewing films in a different way. Like it really is a supplement that's uh, like there's there's almost like an uh, special features can be almost an extension of film criticism, like what happens to be on there, like the making of a film, but also people discussing it critically. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I do like about like watching old, you know, watching old tricked out Hitchcock DVDs or like old, you know, the old universal horror DVDs is they'll interview like critics and stuff and people, you know, somebody who may just kind of on a whim buy Frankenstein or something like that 
you know, they may watch it and be like, oh, yeah, there is more to this than I thought, you know. But uh, that might be something of a pipe dream. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of critics on the uh, the Matrix, the that 10-disc box set, which has it has two commentaries for each movie, and the one commentary that's done by the critics, it's, uh, it's David Thompson and I think a guy from Variety and some, somebody else. But, like, they're not... No, we went after the guys that didn't like the movie. Yeah. That was the mandate. And really, like, Joel and the Wachowskis had to fight to, one, to get it to happen. Uh Uh-huh. Because the studio clearly, you know, on paper, think about how that concept read. Yeah. You know, we will get three to four critics who absolutely abhorred this movie Uh and sit them down in a room to talk about all three of them. Yeah. It didn't go over so big, you know. But... I, I think it's one of the more popular commentaries that, that it's at so least great. that we've done, and especially as you if you watch all three films the way it moves along because they're very pretty much celebratory of the first film, and then you can almost feel them being maybe a little disappointed in what they're in what they're seeing as opposed to just being mean critics. Like you get to see them as as film lovers, you know, know. like people yeah. so who so desperately wanted to like the second two based on the uh, on the first, but it's like oh okay well now this is where we are. But uh, yeah. I had a question, like, like how much, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you have a very definite relationship with the filmmakers and with, you know, the, you know, in some cases, the producer. Um, like, how much leeway do they give you? I mean, do they basically tell you, like, hey, we want a commentary track with critics who hated the films? Or, like, are there any ideas that stem completely from you? And, and they say, oh, yeah, let's, that, that sounds good. Let's do it. I mean, there's a whole process that goes down the line. And I think what, particularly with the DVD ideas, a lot of times the way the schedule of getting things greenlit Mm -hmm. is that um, we're on set sometimes for the entire duration of the shoot before Mm -hmm. the final selection of what we're actually going to make for the DVD is. Right. So when we write, our concepts we try to incorporate as much as we can conversations that we've had on set with the filmmakers about what they might be interested in having so that at least our creative ideas are coming from something somewhat informed to what we think they're going to respond well to but all of that goes through the filter of the home video department and the marketing department at the studio they come back we do number of rewrites so I would say, you know, 90% of the stuff that we do starts as a original creative idea that Josh or myself come up with, but it goes through this filtration of notes and comments back from our clients, essentially, that, you know, sometimes the idea stays fairly intact. Sometimes it takes a pretty drastic right turn from where we really intended it to go. Other times we've been able, like the thing with the documentaries on the on robotics and on religion like they let us run with that that was us and we did it and they stood behind it and and forced it through the the commentary idea with um the critics was more coming from an idea that they had said jokingly on set and Mm -hmm. then put it we all put into motion well not really jokingly but they said it like yeah that'll never happen and then you know we said well if we go for it will you guys help make it happen said yes so you're involved in commentaries as well yeah we do the recording and the edit cool. on the commentary and the ill-fated video commentaries 
now yeah. known as in movie experiences or something. I don't know. <laughs> picture in picture, yak, yak. Um, a, a, good, a good commentary is one of the chief selling points for me. See, but, I agree, and I, 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 there's filmmakers that look forward to them. Yeah, Guy I mean, Ritchie wants to do commentary. Okay, well, the studio says we don't really want to spend money on commentaries anymore. Commentaries aren't popular. All right, well, what are you going to do when you've got a guy that's arguably one of the more popular directors of our lifetime saying, I want to do it? Well, they let him do it. And then, hey, guess what? It's probably pretty entertaining because he mm-hmm. actually wants to be there. Yeah. But there's other times where we've had, you know, where it's been a more forced setup thing, and you can tell that they're not into it. Hmm. They're stuck there in a room with cans on their head, and they don't want to do it. Has, have you ever had an experience of, like, somebody – uh, you know, kind of being forced to do a commentary for a movie that they were involved in and maybe weren't, didn't... It's like, yeah, I, I got my money already. I'm good. <laughs> I'm not going to say who it is, but there, but there was a situation <laughs> where, where the, the, the one actor was overseas. He was in London on another production, on a, on a stage production, actually, and graciously like agreed to go at some ridiculous hour to match time to be in the studio on an ISDN feed <laughs> with us in L.A. And the studio exec kept trying to prompt him to say stuff about his character and his character hadn't even really been in the movie and he just basically when his character did show up on screen he didn't say anything (laughs) (laughs) we didn't have cameras on him but i could kind of visualize uh you know what his uh what his take on all of that was so that was a case where like you know they spent a lot of money to make that happen and what are you going to do? You're not going to, yeah. you know. I mean, you know, it could just be, you know, if you catch a person on the right day, you know. Um, I always find with commentaries, um, no, the critics thing, obviously, and the the one the other docu- the other commentary and matrix, these are different things. But as far as, like, when you have people who worked on the movie together, when you get m- more than one of them in a room together, the commentaries sort of often degenerate into, like, you know, I don't know self-congratulating you know and that's why i always like if it's just like one like just the director or just you know the cinematographer or whatever just doing their own their own commentary that's i I really like that one of my favorites actually is gary ross's commentary for pleasantville which is so dense and informative and intelligent it's one of my favorite commentaries of all time yeah it's uh I remember back when you and I lived together and we watched uh, Crossroads, you know, because it was uh, because why not? And I I don't remember if I I think I may have watched this alone where I was like, this is a commentary track by the director. I got to see what she says. And so um, so I turned it on and I didn't watch the whole thing, but she seemed like a perfectly nice person or anything like that. And and this was before like the onion struck on the commentary tracks of the damned idea, (laughs) which is one of the. They don't do it very often. I wish they did it more because it's absolutely hysterical to me. But uh, I remember there was one part in the commentary where we're seeing a shot and she's like, she's like, you know what? She's like, I really got to hand it to our DP. This shot is really great because you can see, you know, the person that we're talking to. But, you know, we're seeing it from the perspective of the person that that uh, that's asking the question. But it's not POV. You know, we just see them. We see them in the frame. I'm like. Did she just praise an over-the-shoulder shot? <laughs> like, did she really? Like, like, that's nothing new. That's been around a while. <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, I think commentaries are really tricky. And I think that mm-hmm. the way we approach them is outdated and doesn't lend itself often to good results. Because yeah. 
generally what you're doing is you're going to a recording studio. You're putting someone in a booth mm. by themselves with headphones on with a TV in front of them. And you're asking them to just talk in real time about their movie and about their experience. And you're right. If you have two people in the room or three people in the room and someone starts out that analogy about, oh, remember that was the day when craft service got everybody sick and yada, yada, yada. And well, the next yeah. thing you know, like 15 minutes of interesting stuff just went by mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah. And now they're all disjointed. What we've tried to do when we have more time and a, and a really willing filmmaker is break it down more. So you can say, all right, here, here's the scene coming up. What do we want to say? What do we want to get across? Because you edit it later anyway. Uh -huh. We have to take out all the ums and uhs and hisses and pops and all the mm -hmm. legal legal comes in and says, oh, that time when he like criticized Coca-Cola or whatever, you can take that out just as whatever, you know, making uh -huh. something up. But so why not just record it like you would if you were like a radio journalist or something? Like yeah. just record the audio calmly. At the guy's living room. Yeah. Or at, like, Guy Ritchie is the other day. He was like, I want to do it at my pub. <laughs> that sounds brilliant to me. Yeah. But, you know, make that happen? No. Because then, you know, I got to send in a budget that says, like, well, I need, like, a field recording setup and all this other stuff. And they don't get it. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that probably for around the same amount of money as putting them in a studio, yeah, they might actually get something that's way more interesting. So, you know, we try where we can, we try to push and change those kind of things. I was interested to get what is uh what is your take on the uh, the alternate ending special feature? I uh I don't know <laughs> how I feel about it. I used to be very <laughs> against it. But uh but now I'm just like, eh, if it's on there, it's on there. That's fine, you know. I mean, they shot it, so why shouldn't I give it a look? But like I remember it, I remember like on the on the front of like some DVDs it would be like it's like with five alternate endings I'm like all that tells yeah. me is they had no idea what they were doing <laughs> like and they just covered all their bases like what's what's your is that pretty much how it works out or I think those yeah I mean I I definitely you know we were indoctrinated into this by the right people cuz Andy and Larry's thing was like you know when the studio came we were like what about deleted scenes like what about alternate cuz to me it's kind of the same thing yeah they're like, yeah, they they were deleted for a reason. They're on yes. the floor. They're going to stay yeah, there. I and, I th and that's how I feel about alternate endings, deleted scenes, all of that. I think it's kind of a – unless it's a comedy, maybe there was something funny in it. You know, you get more, like, witty ad lib moments from the actor or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I can kind of see that. I don't like them. I think that – the proper use of that energy, if you've got an ego big enough to say, like, I want to show everybody everything, even the stuff that we decided was crap, uh -huh. yeah. then do it right and do something like what what has been tried on movies like Return to House on Haunted Hill, and I think there's a few others, where you take advantage of the DVD technology today and you create choose-your-own-path type of scenarios or hmm. things where, you know, it's not just oh there's five alternate endings you have to actually decide how you come to find that conclusion to the film hmm. doesn't work for every movie it's not yeah. you know but i think if you're going to do something like that like push it further than just scooping something up off the editing bin and slapping it on there i've only ever what seen do, what go ahead what, what, i do like deleted scenes when they when they themselves include commentary and hmm. There will mm. often be a, dis a discussion of why it was deleted, why it didn't right. fit. That's informative. Right. 
There has been one. The studio made me take this out. Yeah, see, but then the lawyer was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is one that springs to mind. One deleted scene that it's like that. I'm like, oh, I like that. It can. It absolutely has no part in the film, but I like it on its own. And I and it's one of those things where it's like if you view them as like their own little short films, then it's all right. Like and basically, it's a it's a scene from Jaws where Quint, where you see uh, Quint interacting with the with the world. And he goes into a music, he goes into a, uh, like a music store or like a musical instrument store to purchase piano wire, which of course is what he uses to catch sharks. And, uh, and there's a kid who's like playing piano and, um, and, uh, the, and the kid is like playing. Okay. And, and Quince just got this smile on his face, looking at the kid like, like, Oh, good, good for him. Kid makes a mistake. And Quint just starts yelling at him. And it's like, <laughs> so it, random. it's, it's absolutely, yeah, it's really random. I can't imagine where they wanted to put that in the film, but I mean, I like the idea. I mean, as far as I can tell, you only see Quint on land once and then the rest of the time he's on his boat. And I kind of like that. That he is completely inseparable from the water, and walk, seeing him walk into a music store and <laughs> yell at a child is a little <laughs> weird. But, but looking at it on its own terms, it's like this is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, that's a good one that that works. But you know, you also have to kind of look at it from the the salesman perspective. What mm-hmm. they're really doing is they're just increasing the volume of bullet points on the back of that disc. Yeah. So when you're yeah. in the store and you flip it around. And you go, wow, there, it looks like there's like 20 odd things on this thing. Awesome. Even though like, you know, 10 of them are throwaway stuff. Yeah. That's really what's going on. They're trying to hit you with, you know, look at all the stuff that we packed on there. And I think a lot of times that's easier and cheaper than actually producing a piece. You know, right. if you can, if they have control over the filmmaker or whatever, and they can say, well, we're going to put these alternatings, all these deleted scenes and stuff. Suddenly they've got, you know half a dozen a dozen bullet points for the packaging extra this extra that extra that and they didn't have to produce anything they didn't have to hire me to go shoot they didn't have to hire our editors to put some more complex documentary about the genre of slasher movies or whatever and and they've got what they're really going after which is just to try to sell more discs by someone thinking like oh i'm going to get a bunch of extra stuff without really seeing what it is. Which is one of the reasons that I'm happy that there have been websites. There's one called DVD Verdict, I think, is the one that's, I'd say, perhaps most uh, prominent. And, um... (laughs) Sorry, I've gotten distracted. Damn it. Um, Because I really feel like there's... Maybe some studios have the mentality of, hey, we just need to get them to buy it. You know? And so, like, I remember I was at Target the other day, and I picked up a DVD. I'm like, let's see what it's got. And I saw, you know, I saw the bullet points, and it's like, it's like, oh, it's got a lot of stuff. But if you actually take the time to read, it's like, oh, it talks about the aspect ratio. Well, that's uh, don't get me wrong, I don't want full screen, but uh, I'm not sure if I tout that. It's just something that I can look at the bottom and find that out. Yeah, I don't know if the, yeah the fact that I can also watch it in French doesn't count as a special feature, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like it's like, oh, uh, animated menus. Now we're talking. <laughs> You you made your sale, sir. You know it's just uh, but, well. Yeah. That I want to go back to something you said a while ago now about how they don't they don't promote the quality of the special features. They when you see a commercial for a DVD or a post or whatever, it'll say like over three hours of of special features, and that it's the same thing as you're talking about with the bullet points in the back. They're just telling you how much there is. Mm-hmm. But what I mean, it, it would be interesting to me to see if because we've already seen we saw the trailers for the movie when the movie came out. Why not, when selling a DVD, include 
sort of a trailer of special features uh, as a as a as a commercial for a DVD. You know, saying mm-hmm. like clips from the making of like it, why why is that not in the commercials for DVDs? You it, get, ha- yeah, you get it happens every once in a while, but usually with a movie that's so big that everyone's going to buy it anyway. Right. You know, I mean, like Iron Man or Hulk or you know Wally or something like that, right. where it's like. Yeah, you, you don't need the to alternate about that. trailer 4B will be like uh, include some behind the scenes footage or something <laughs> like that, right? Like I've seen that done. Right. I don't know. I mean, I you know, I I do know that it's been alleged to me by people who I trust in the studios that basically new DVDs hit the market on I think it's on a Thursday, right? Tuesday. Tuesday yeah. on the Tuesday. Okay, yeah, yeah, the Tuesday. So they know. By like four in the afternoon, what the lifetime sales of that DVD is on that Tuesday. Uh-huh. It ships, it, it arrives in the morning, and they know pretty much based on the cash register from across the country uh-huh. what it's going to do the rest of the. So if that's true, then really who they need to promote this stuff, and I think they do promote what these special features are, isn't to the, the general public. It's yeah. to the buyer at the video store. It's to the guy who decides how many they're going to bring into Blockbuster or huh. whatever it is because that's what they're really looking at. They're looking at that one day, did it work or didn't it work? Hmm. So I think that when when there is some promotion of DVD content, because we'll make EPKs for DVD marketing to use, and I think primarily who they go to are the distributors and the the retailers. It's not for the, it, it's they're being promoted, but they're not being promoted to a general audience. They're being promoted to the people that are buying in bulk. And I could be totally wrong about that, but that's my. Well, I mean, if uh, I mean, trying to, if, if the general audience is already going to take care of itself, if they already, you know, are going to buy it or not buy it anyway, why not? What Tyler's talking about the DVD dot com. Why not market to that niche as well? You've got your general audience, and then you also maybe try to pull in a few extra more discerning right. buyers. But I think he hit it on the head. It's budget. I mean, look, like Batman, ridiculous amount of extras, crazy web campaigns, tons of extra stuff, right? Uh-huh. I would have loved to have been on that project because it looked like they had so much fun with all the different things, TV specials, all this stuff. But that's a, it's a guaranteed that's like, you right. know, what my old man would call lead pipe cinch, right? It's just, uh-huh. it's going to sell. So they can therefore allocate that much more money to do all those things. Hmm. But are you going to take the risk to do that level of marketing both out front for the movie and out front for the DVD right. on Invasion? Right. Hmm. Probably not. Or like a more, or even something that, you know, like, Slumdog Millionaire, great movie, but that movie isn't going to have the budget to go, you know, take the risk to put all those things out. Because whatever it costs them to have me do it, you figure there's a whole office at the studio that then has to actually do something with that, Mm -hmm. that has to get it placed on the internet and get the article written and make sure that the DVD gets reviewed. And that's expensive. They don't want to spend the money. You mentioning uh, the internet actually got me got me thinking because because uh, you mentioned that you do Watchmen so that means you do the webisodes right and I mean is that something that you find happening more often like content not even just for DVDs but for you know kind of all this kind of this teaser stuff because now that I mean <laughs> yeah the internet is big yes you're listening to this <laughs> on the internet good lord anyway um, but just I mean 
do you see that as being like the absolute future of of like movie marketing you know just these little kind of five minute things about the making of or is that just kind of specific to a movie like Watchmen that has so much buzz around it that people will take any scrap they can get I mean again you got to spend the money to do it and I do think that things are scalable but at a certain point they're going to allocate those types of of budgets for internet content to a a big tentpole movie Mm -hmm. like Watchmen now those those webisodes or video journals or blog casts or whatever the hell they want to come up with. Can I swear? I don't know. Yeah. Yes, Call you them. You know, that stuff is, those are perfect seedlings to grow bigger DVD features from down the line. Mm-hmm. So there is kind of a correlation between the two. Do I think it's the absolute f- future? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's a future, and I think that it's one that certainly is gaining more and more uh, attention on both sides. I mean, the, I think the the audience is way more savvy to finding out about things via the internet and looking to the internet to get the next little nugget. Those Watchmen fans are they're rabid for that thing. It comes out on the sixth of every month, and it's like you know they're ready for it. Mm-hmm. But that's I don't think that's going beyond much. That's that's not going beyond the existing Watchmen fan base. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think that that in the, on the other end, and the you know the advertising and publicity departments are definitely paying more attention to things that can be done for the internet, internet-based content. But where it all goes, I'm not really sure yet. So there's not going to be any webisodes about that movie Doubt or anything <laughs> like that uh, anytime in the near future. Or movies like uh, like In the Bedroom. Frost Nixon. Frost no. Nixon. But <laughs> I think that's those could be do. fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and that's absolutely. the thing. Like, I think that's why, you know, it's uh, maybe the wrong word to use, but the, what we do is so scalable to any project. And mm-hmm. if you just, if, if the right people are involved and, and they have an open mindset to it, there's a way, even on a movie like that, that seemingly you're like, wow, it's a character-driven movie. There's no big stunts or effects. Like, what are we going to make a feature out about? Mm-hmm. But there are things you can make featurettes about if you consider that your audience is intelligent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody's. I mean, if you're going to see, you know, for example, Frost Nixon, chances are you either have an interest in history, or you have an interest in like really solid acting or theater. Like, there's three different options there that you could go with, but because it's not like easily you know because it's not a special effects extravaganza they may not commit to the idea of it but why not make something like like that's an interesting example because here's an event that happened kind of really at the beginning of my lifetime Mm -hmm. i'm 40 so there's a generation of people my nieces and nephews they may know who nixon is Mm -hmm. from the history books they probably Mm -hmm. don't know who frost is but but maybe they are interested in theater or one of those three things. But what's going to tell them why they should go see this movie? Well, if you made like a little three-minute refresher about who these guys were and why it was important and why it's relevant today, which would be really easy to get across in like two to three minutes. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. tons of great footage about all of those events in that particular interview series. Amazing. Yeah. Like you would you would probably put more butts in seats. Mm-hmm. But but that's a connection that that's why like we were all are sitting here and not wearing a suit behind a desk in a cubicle right. in a studio. It's uh-huh. a different mindset. You have to get the whole machine behind that idea. 
So it's a trickier. Are there any specific studios that you think might be more open to that kind of thing? Or is it just like at this point, like even the more Dave and I have kind of discussed this before the idea of like the independent studios, they're still studios. They still have to make money and all that. But do you find that there are some that are a little more open to that kind of thing? I think that there's some that are that can move faster because they don't have as much luggage to drag around. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the 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 big old grand dames of movie making like they got a lot of people they've got to kind of push and pull to get things to happen well this makes me think well let me ask you do you ever does your company ever do do, uh produce special features for older movies that are coming out on dvd or do do you like catalog title stuff yeah no and that's something i mean we've been we've we've gone after it a little bit uh we haven't really been able to put as much attention to pursuing that as we'd like but I, that is something that I think, because that's a place where there are oftentimes there's a there's a there's a set budget, there's a cap to what they'll spend on those. But within that, th- there's room to really play around because they're the movie's already done its thing. They're not so worried about paying attention. I don't know. Maybe they, they pay, I think they pay less attention. <laughs> well, it seems like. It- I mean, well, you worked obviously with the Matrix and stuff, so you've worked with with Warner Brothers. Uh, they've got they they've they've put out some stuff that to me has has honestly rivaled Criterion in, as far as <laughs> both the quality of the transfer and everything, and just the quality of the special features. I think and the, the guy that does the catalog titles at at uh, Warner's. Oh my God, I'm choking. <laughs> That's what I kind of mean to say. He gives them way more rain. Uh huh. There's way more freedom on those titles to do the kind of things you're talking about, to do yeah. the really cool documentaries. Yeah, it's and because there's less pressure. They do this stuff him. like uh, if you saw the the uh, Errol Flynn Adventures of Robin Hood DVD, mm-hmm. which has like you can essentially watch it as if you're watching as if you were going to the movies in that era where they'll have like a yeah. newsreel and like a short film and like it's, it's the guys that stuff. are in that dep- in in that area of home video at Warner's love movies know all that stuff want to find vendors that'll make that kind of material to share with people because it's their passion mm-hmm. and i think they do i think warner brothers turns out some pretty amazing catalog title work yeah. it is kind of a shame because like like the movie <laughs> kind of has to have proven itself like for example i was, was at target the other day and i saw and this happens to me a lot where i will Snatch up a movie that I love when it comes out on DVD, and then a much more in de- like Traffic, for example. When I bought it, and there was a little, you know, tw- now I love the film, so I don't care, but like, you know, there was a 20 minute featurette, and then freaking Criterion gets it, and they've got like roughly 800 deleted scenes, which I'll never watch all of, but they also have more. You know, more they've got like more featurettes on the drug war itself, and then interviews with politicians. But that's a movie like that's a movie like Traffic. But like, I get frustrated with having to like rebuy something. But but at the same time, like, so like I was at Target and I saw that Universal had released these really great like it was Psycho, Rear Window, and Vertigo, like the big three of Hitchcock, and and they're just really great. And I'm like, oh, gonna have to buy these again. Damn it. <laughs> you know, because on Rear Window, they've got, like, they've got another disc with feature etch, and one is about, like, you know, taking the audience to task, which is something we've discussed on the show before. But, like, and I remember my wife, Jen, you know, because there was a Hitchcock section, but those were the only three that got the really nice treatment. She's like, 
well, why, you know, why isn't the birds or, you know, the man who knew too much, like, why, why aren't those like that? And I was like, because these are the big three. These already have an audience. I mean, people already know about them. They're, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein, stuff like that. Like I was discussing with some friends yesterday, uh, the movie The Apostle. And to my knowledge, it, it has like maybe, it's got production stills, theatrical trailer. And I think it has a commentary by Robert Duvall, which would be really interesting. But a movie like that could have really great special features where like you interview like preachers and stuff like that. Like, you know, where it thinks outside the box a little bit, outside of the movie itself to the world that it's depicting. But they're, they're never going to do that. I mean, The Apostle, it's not a, it has an audience and people know about it, but it's not a classic. They're ne- it's, it's never going to get the deluxe treatment that some movies have, have gotten. And that, it bums me out immensely because like there are plenty of movies that I love that I would have loved to see some making of stuff or, you know, or some of these documentaries you're talking about, but I know it's never going to happen because unless that, well, if that movie sort of, uh, becomes relevant again and then criterion. Yeah. That's a, yeah. that's sort of what yeah. criteria or there's is for. someone at the studio that has that same passion for that movie and right. therefore puts some emphasis behind it. You know, I mean with, with new releases where, where our, most of our work takes place it. You know, the biggest hurdles in terms of getting good content on set is a willing and and participatory cast and crew. Hmm. Like, if you have a director that, that, that doesn't view EPK and DVD extras as a tool in his toolkit, if he has the opposite view of it, mm-hmm. your life's going to be really hard on set. You work on a movie with someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman, like, from the acting side of it, like... You can't be on set when he's on set. Hmm. Like certain people don't want to have behind the scenes around. So then, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because hopefully what it does is it forces the thing that to me is way more interesting anyway, which is kind of what keeps coming up in all these little moments of conversation. You don't need to shoot Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Gust Mm -hmm. in. Charlie Wilson's Wilson's War, War, right? What you want to know about is like all the crazy stuff that actually happened when, you know, his CIA post in Greece and all that. So great. He doesn't want us on set. Not that we even worked on this movie, but, uh, you know, Uh my feeling would be like, awesome. Like, let's take that budget and let's go make a documentary about the real facts and events that, that this is about. Yeah. Now, it's kind of wishful thinking on my part, but I think that's. That's the direction that if if people were able to push the studios in any way, shape, or form, I would like to see it go more towards what you guys seem to really be passionate about too, which is, yeah, when it's an old movie, it is great to see like how Hitchcock set up the shots or whatever. But it's also really great to hear about, you know, oh, he read this really obscure book and that's what gave a motivation for this particular aspect of the storyline let's go chase that like let's go Mm -hmm. tell a whole story about that weird book that he read or that photo that motivated the shot or whatever yeah well i think uh tyler and i are certainly uh of and and definitely more younger than people than us too uh starting to to see the the dvd the home viewing experience as a as uh as i'm not sure how to say it like a um a piece of art unto itself as opposed to just the dvd being the conveyance of the art right a, a dvd package is 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 a, is a complete work you know and right. so so do you find that younger directors uh and filmmakers 
see that more and are more cooperative? I think so. I think there's a lot of younger filmmakers that are coming from doing making of stuff, too. Yeah. That's mm. a whole interesting thing that's been going on. But, yeah, I, I think that there's people who are more receptive to it. I think what, to me, what I what like really could just snap my fingers and the world worked in a different way, I think that the movie should be the marketing tool for all the other stuff. <laughs> because if you're really into it, you're going to want all these other things. You're going to want to be part of this greater experience, what we're trying to do on Watchmen, what they did on Batman. So the movie shouldn't be the primary thing, you know? It should be, at the very least, on par. It, yeah, or it, it should just be saying. a part of it. Because ultimately, you should make everything towards what the, the, what the absolute ultimate end result is so if that's the dvd if that's like the the you know grand dragon special edition director's cut blu-ray hoo-ha dvd box set uh -huh. then that's what the, the movie should be promoting that that hmm. shouldn't be an afterthought to the movie the movie should just be something that's used to promote this incredible collection of like all the director's thoughts and all these other ancillary ideas and, and the movie and the movie yeah, yeah. As sort of the starting point, yeah. In in like non-linear thinking, like that's the the linear thing that gets you into it, and then you have all this this myriad direction that you can go in to find all kinds of other stuff, like peeling out layers of an onion. Hmm. Well, I think that's a that that uh, sort of look toward the future is a good place to maybe yeah. wrap up here. Now, uh, you have a your company has a website, I, I imagine, right? We do. I mean, I, I think. Our website is kind of a calling card for our business clients. I think okay. the, the more as interesting aspect of what we do website-wise, I think, would be the projectlabfilms.com okay. site because that's our documentary division and okay. where we actually do, I'm not going to say cooler work. <laughs> so projectlabfilms.com is what, uh, you know, what, what you would suggest people go to. Yeah, and okay. they can go to EMP. It's a emp23.com. It'll get them to the Project Lab site, too. Okay. All right. right. Well, thank you very much yeah, for, being for being on the show. This thank is great. you. All right. And uh, everybody, we'll... Uh, yeah, you can always get us at BattleshipRetention at Hotmail.com or BattleshipRetention.com. Uh, you know, contribute to the forum. That's right. Click on the Donate button. Whatever you got to do. Whatever you want to do. Know. All right. Uh, it's not our place to tell you what to do aside from that Donate button. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, we'll... Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.